Hi, this is Andrew Lotto. Welcome to another edition of Statistically Speaking. This is episode 52, Polar Bears Are Assholes, part two. This is a to-be-continued sequel, like Empire Strikes Back. So last time I was ranting about what is expected in the climate change debate, uh, though it's never really a debate, uh, I said it was fairly difficult to argue with facts that, one, climate is changing, as it always does, or two, that humans have a lot to do with it, which should not be surprising to anyone. I ended last time by asking, however, whether climate change in and of itself was bad. Too much of the debate is on the existence of climate change as opposed to why we should give a shit. Now, for this podcast, I'm going to allow those people who say, I'd rather visit Miami, Florida over Alberta, Canada for my vacations in the future those people can give the coherent argument that yes, climate change is something we would rather slow if not stop altogether. So let's accept climate is changing. Humans are mostly responsible and it's a bad thing. Then we reach the fourth proposition that climate change devotees are actually advancing, which is that humans can and should make massive behavioral changes to slow down climate change. In other words, if you were to do a cost-benefit analysis where the cost is the behavioral changes and the mandates you'd have to give versus the benefit, which is the slowing down of climate change, if you did that sort of analysis, the claim is it would be worth it to make attempts to stop climate change no matter how drastic the behavioral changes necessitate. So I argued last time that the benefits don't seem that high We're not talking about people walking outside in the next hundred years and instantly burning into ashes. According to the UN, life expectancy is predicted to continue increasing going forward. I mean, on the other hand, we may be able to save the Washington boreal owl from extinction, but I'm not listing that high on benefits. Also, more of us may have to move to Canada. But people were pretty high in doing that when Trump was voted in. And don't we get universal health care and Tim Horton donuts win-win so the real way to motivate people to pay any cost for fighting climate change is to make the benefit infinitely high and this is what politicians do So it came out this week from several U.S. politicians who use the same popular phrase to make this seem like stopping climate change is the most important thing we could ever do, highest benefit. They use all the same phrase. You know the phrase. Sing it with me. Climate change is an existential crisis. An existential crisis. You've heard this over and over. It reminds me about the movie uh, Princess Bride where Wallace Shawn's character, Vizzini, keeps saying, incomprehensible. And eventually, Inigo Montoya says to him, you keep using this word. I don't think it means what you think it means. An existential crisis actually means that someone is questioning whether their life has meaning or purpose. I, I have a crisis where I'm questioning whether I have any meaning in life. It often comes with depression. But linking warm weather to losing a sense of meaning of existence, that's a tough sell. 
I presume when these idiots use existential crisis with climate change, they mean that this is a challenge to the continued existence of humans as opposed to causing everyone to go out and read Jean-Paul Sartre or Corin Kierkegaard. But that's just overblown rhetoric. Now, in the UN climate change report, there is good evidence that we're likely to see droughts and hurricanes become more frequent, but there's nothing resembling a world catastrophe on the order that it would wipe out the existence of humans. These politicians are like street corner prophets decrying a, a second great flood to wipe out the wicked. So let's get rid of the overblown existential crisis crap or Bernie Sanders' absolutely laughable claim that climate change is our greatest national security threat. Like, he hasn't heard of Iran or China. That's so fucking dumb, I can't even. So let's say we all agree that delaying or slowing down climate change has great benefits, even if they're not infinite. Then let's say, what are the costs? Now, one of the conclusions in the new UN report that's not received a lot of reporting is that some of these changes are now unstoppable. That is, if we all stop using cars and planes and cows stop farting today, some of these changes are going to occur anyway. But let's go ahead and say we can still do something. The kinds of changes that would have to be made in the next 50 years would require massive changes in human behavior and incentives. According to some in the report and people's reporting on the report, these changes would have to happen too sweet, like yesterday, and that would require a complete overturn of American, not just American, world incentives, behaviors, and motivations. Now, to accomplish this, you would likely have to mandate activity in an authoritarian way, tell people what to do. And it's probably is this going to be at a level that's above a single government. Because no matter what the propaganda is on green jobs being great, if you put these restrictions and mandates in, you'd be at least in a short-term economic disadvantage versus competitor countries if they did not. So we're going to need some overarching group to mandate down to the people in government who mandate to their people environmental, the appropriate behavioral changes. This is at a time when the United States is so divided and distrustful of their institutions. They won't even get vaccines. Do you really think it's reasonable to expect people in the United States to go along with mandates restricting their choices especially if these mandates come from a higher than the United States level. If you believe that, if you believe that will be an easy sell or not lead to even more division, then you live in a very different community from me. You talk to very different people than I do. To make matters worse, you'll be enhancing the class divide in this country, which currently also means a racial divide. As I said in previous podcasts, Hey, New York, good luck on that vaccine passport for restaurants, given that the lowest vaccinated group in the country are black Americans. Did you really want to Jim Crow yourself back to having restaurants that keep out the majority of black people? 
The new bill on infrastructure in Congress, this is the big one, the $3.5 trillion one, not the $500 billion bridges and roads one. The big one includes money to fight climate change with things like tax incentives for putting up solar panels. Cool. Tax breaks for solar panels. Who the fuck gets those tax breaks? Rich assholes who already have solar panels in their San Bernardino mansion. That's who. Uh, If some rich contractor builds low-income housing and decides to put solar panels on it, who gets the federal tax breaks? It's already disgusting to watch dickholes in Teslas look down on someone smugly because they have a 10-year-old Ford F-150. Wait for the upper-class smug factor to shoot through the roof after they get an extra tax break on their douche-mobile. But AOC and some of the other New Age Congress fucks have a new term to combat this that I've heard all week. Climate justice. Climate justice. The claim is that climate change is at the heart of racial and cultural injustice in the world. Or at least the strong contributing factor. Screw the slavery. It's warmer temperatures just causing this. AOC drops in climate change when discussing any cultural issue, like Andrew Cuomo drops in a sweetie or a honey pie whenever enacting with a uh, female. That's a cheap shot on Andrew. I'm sorry, man. Now, I understand that you can make some linkages between climate change uh, and possible regionally negative effects in poor areas in Asia, Africa, and South America. We'll probably lose the Maldives, which most people can't locate on the map. But in general, this is a hard argument to make. In fact, for quite a long time, economists and historians have made the opposite argument. That is, that it is commonplace for cultures to make themselves rich and prosperous by burning through natural resources and polluting without compunction. Then, once they reach power and wealth, they often turn to trying to save the land and resources from being exploited, which, of course, in turn locks into place the class advantages that they've obtained by exploiting these resources and make it sure that no one else can rise up the same way. And liberal historians have expressed this as one of the problems between first world and third world countries. Use up the resources, put in environmental standards. Make sure it stays the way it is. And you don't even have to think that rich people are assholes to see how this works. Once someone's rich... They've got fewer pressures to making their living day-to-day or finding expendable income. So they might start worrying about things other than getting shelter, feeding their children, or keeping the electricity on. If all your needs are taken care of, you may start to think about whether your grandchildren will be able to play in snow or whether the red-toed geckos will have an appropriate habitat. You may even have an existential crisis and realize that with no struggle in your life that you need purpose. Perhaps you could save the world by making sure no one ever takes advantage of natural resources to be as unreasonably rich as you. Start right away. Post it on Facebook. Here's my new purpose. Bill Gates, for instance, has enough financial security to concern himself with his existential crises and he has even more time now that 
He's divorced and his dinner buddy Jeffrey Epstein is dead. But if you really want to fuel a class warfare, make sure that you add to your hypocrisy over your monetary gain with some much more obvious hypocrisy. So Biden has named John Kerry as the czar on climate change, and it was reported that John Kerry took his private jet to Obama's 60th birthday bash this weekend, which that would have been quite a carbon footprint for a guy who looks like Herman Munster. But no fear, the State Department put out a statement to make it clear that Kerry did not take his private jet. He already was in Martha's Vineyard, and he went over by ferry. Whew, what a relief. But, but doesn't that still mean that the climate change czar has a fucking private jet? And sure enough, he does. It's the family private jet. But the State Department wants you to know it's only been used 14 times so far this year. Also, I'm sure Beyonce and Jay-Z arrived at the party by hang glider. Or maybe they flew coach on some electric plane. So is the benefit of slowing down the inexorable change in our climate worth the cost of throwing a charcoal briquette on the current political and class warfare? Nah. I'm not a climate change denier. I'm a climate change don't give a shitter. Pass the tequila. Oh!